0: Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I'm the host and today's episode, I interview Pip Taylor. Pip is a former professional athlete and is currently engaged in a leadership position for the public service, as well as providing expertise through a consultancy business, chair of the AFL Sports Dietitian Association, and the former performance sports dietitian at Brisbane Alliance. Highlights from this episode. We discuss the importance nutrition plays for developing athletes, Pip's experience as a high-performance athlete, and how nutrition played a critical role. The challenge COVID had on sports dietitians working in AFL clubs, and what Pip and her colleagues at the Sports Dietitian Association are doing to solve this issue, and practical tips for sports dietitians wanting to work in elite sport. Before we start this episode, for our coaches listening in, I want to help you develop your own semi-automated online business similar to Prepare Like a Pro. The best place to start is to join our academy, where you get full access to our high-performance presentations an exclusive ad-free podcast and if you email me with a subject heading podcast, I'll throw in a free coaching mentoring consultation. Here we will discuss your coaching business, what you're currently doing, your goals and I'll help provide some tips and tricks that you can do to help scale your business. If this is something you're interested in, you can join our academy. The link will be in the show notes. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Pip. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for coming on. We'll, we'll dive right at the beginning of, of your career. Uh, take us through. There'll be definitely some sports dietitians that have tuned in. Take us through where your discovery for passion and your passion um, started as a sports dietitian.
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's, been, it's been quite the journey for a start, um, probably showing my age a little bit. But to some degree, I almost fell into the profession. Um, I was myself a professional triathlete. Um, that's a sport where nutrition has a really big component. Um, I, I had, uh, I guess I was coming through university. I'd started in a, in a medical science degree, so had a, you know, a real interest in the human body, how things worked, um, the physiology behind that. But then uh, for me as an athlete, it became pretty obvious that nutrition, what you eat, when you eat, had such a major impact on every single facet of performance. So how are, you, how are you feeling day-to-day in training um, from, from mood to physical recovery um, right through then to um, on race day where, it's a, again, it's a major factor in, in how you actually get through those races. I was also probably pretty fortunate as an athlete to be exposed not only to um, good dietitians and nutritionists um, but also other performance staff as well. Um, but also being exposed to other athletes. You know, I certainly came through the system. I came through the AIS, Australian Institute of Sport, when it was very much a um, a, a program where there, were, where there were athletes in camp. Um, I also spent a lot of time um, overseas, racing overseas. I was in environments, for instance, where I was on um, this is going back a number of years, when the NFL was in lockout and I spent time training with the the Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs. And just, yeah, which, you know, I've I've always loved just being around and exposed to lots of different athletes. Um, And it's all of those exposure points that really bring into focus, um, for me anyway, put into perspective um, different athletic requirements, different physiological requirements and that's that's probably the way my brain works is taking that step and going well, I wonder what that that movement or that skill requires from a training perspective and from a nutrition and fueling perspective um and so it was all of those questions really that just kind of s- sparked and and sent me down this more formalized route of of um, work and study and training and yeah then then ended up um when I was a non-athlete, being in that performance environment myself, providing that support.
0: For athletes, yeah, that's fantastic. There's a fair bit to dive into there. We'll start with, with the athlete, your mindset as, as an athlete that wanted to improve and, I guess, control the controllables like your, your nutrition. Um, what were some significant changes that you made and, and what performance benefits did you did you notice?
1: Yeah, look, it's, it's been really interesting too and, and probably with a lot of reflection. Um, I I know at the time, you know, I would have changed various things and and see how they they impacted and um, went through some ups and downs with that as well. You know, I can say straight up, too, triathlon is is very much a um, uh, a power to weight sport. Um, there, there is, it is a sport where there is um, a degree of pressure around body weight, um, even even to an extent. Um, you know, there's certainly talk or perception about how athletes look. Um, it's a sport where we're racing in swimmers on on telly every weekend. Um oh, so, right. so that that's been an element of it. Yep. The other thing that's been really interesting and in progression from athlete to um probably, you know, professional in this space as well. And as a female athlete, what's really changed is the conversations and the willingness to engage and the knowledge um around um female hormones and menstruation and what that looks like for both health and performance. And they were conversations that just didn't happen in, in my career and my time of racing. So all of those elements, you know, are constantly changing and, and changing for the better too. Um, yeah. So I think while there was lots that that I did and implemented myself as an athlete, I think that there's also lots that I didn't do and it probably as you know when you when I'm dealing with athletes now it does give you a really good perspective um, it gives you a really good point of um, understanding as well picking up on on what the athletes are going through at that at that stage um, and and knowing how to have those conversations and and how and when to push certain certain um, points forward.
0: yeah thank you for sharing that. It- it's such a um, good topic to discuss when it comes to nutrition, that the balance of performance, health, and then also aesthetics and and the body compositions. And like you said, the the expectation and um, of how an athlete should look and those perceptions, and, and especially when you're at a young age, you, you know, you're at a vulnerable time to, to be able to handle those things. Um, so that there's a fair bit going on to, to try and juggle as an athlete um, and, you know, lucky to have people like yourself supporting them and, and helping them and guiding them. But for, for athletes that are tuned in, that are listening, what are, what are sort of some important pillars to understand that if they are only focusing on their aesthetics, um, what are some important things that they should be doing um, that, are, that is also important for their health and longevity in the sport?
1: Yeah, it's, look, it's such a key topic. Um, and, and I always like to bring things back to performance and ask the question of, you know, what are you here for? Um, whether whether you are in um, an elite team or a pro athlete, you know, you didn't get your contract given out. You don't turn up, they don't give trophies for skinny athletes or, you know, the most muscular athletes or the ones with best body comp. So it's it's really, I guess, framing up what are you here for? What do you train turn up to training for every day? And then based on that, what are your requirements? You know, you're, you're asking... No one wants to be within that bell curve of ordinary. Yeah. Every athlete that you speak to wants to be pushing that end. They want to be something special. Um, and so that takes something special in all the angles, um, including nutrition. So it's thinking through, you know, if you want to turn up day after day and train hard, mm. what does that take? What is the fueling required to, to maximize output in that session? How do you recover from that session so you can back up the next day is the session requirement around um, skill acquisition. So, you know, you need your brain turned on and fueled. Otherwise, you're only, if your goals are here, you're turning up and you're only getting halfway there all the time. So, you know, you put that in the context for a young athlete or an athlete at the end stage of their career, you think at some point it will end and you want to get the most out of that time. So so let's address that at that point. And, and, and I think it's, you know, once you have that conversation, it's a bit of a mind shift, a mind, a switch. And the other thing that's really important to note as well is that often when you're focusing on those outputs and maximizing all of that outputs and ticking all those boxes along the way, mm. your body composition and your body weight just takes care of itself. Yeah. Because – you're doing. You, you're fueling well. You're maximizing your outputs. You're probably sleeping better. Your stress levels are down, and they're all the things that you know. Really, if they're out of whack, they really combine to really mess up your body composition and really mess up your stress response um, across the board. So, yeah, just start. I think it's. I think it's about starting with the basics, keeping the big picture in mind, understanding why you're there, and working backwards.
0: Yeah, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? And, and yeah. particularly in team-based sports where you can compare yourself to your peers all the time and, um, and you know, who's looking like so-and-so, whatever it might be, or comparing yourself to competition. But ultimately it is just another distraction, isn't it? And, and you've got to con- got to think about what's important to you and everyone's got different body types and different shapes. Um, but if you're performing at a really good level, unless you're a bodybuilder, they are critiqued on there.
1: Exactly. Or um, sure there's some
0: aesthetic yep. sports as well that it, it does yep. have an influence. But if you're training for performance, which no doubt mostly athletes listening to this will be on-field performance is, is where they're measured. Um, and what they're trying to improve, then reminding yourself of that is what you love and that's what, you, what you're there for. Um, but for those, like, where, is there a place for dieting for athletes? Um, or do you think it is simply having the philosophy that trusting, like you said before, that the byproduct of living a healthy lifestyle that's fueling your training and training um as an athlete lifestyle, like most athletes would be having a fair amount of output, um, reaching their healthy weight will just take care of itself if you if you just stay with it over time. Or think there is a place where you where athletes do need a diet for it.
1: Look, that's I mean, that's to some degree too, that's a really individual question. And this is where one, as an athlete, you, you need to advocate for yourself first and foremost, um, whether you're an individual athlete, whether you're a, a team athlete, even in that team context. And, you know, I've said this to so many, so many athletes before, you need to advocate for yourself, um, which means tuning in and having some awareness. But you also need to build a really good team around you and a team that you trust Um, one of the things that you find with nutrition is that basically everyone is an expert. You can pick up any, any sort of social site, any, any paper, any magazine, tune into anything. And there's someone telling you something else about nutrition and it's, it's a lot of conflicting messages and that has the effect of, you know, people kind of jumping from one thing to another thing. So having Having someone that you can trust in that space and sticking the course is is really really key but within that there's always going to be across either across a career across a year um, across a month or or even across a week your nutrition doesn't stay the same you know it's it's based across a whole variety of things it's it's in context of your individual training load where your goals are um, stress levels, what's going on with the rest of your life, your family life, um, that, that is going to mean that your nutrition has to change as well to match that. So whether that, you know, whether there is a, a place for um, at times some more, I don't even like calling it dieting, but some restricted eating or some more monitored eating um, or you look simply looking more closely at how you're eating, um, that can come into play as well. Um, which, which probably, you know, I'm, I'm never a big one for tracking anything much at all. Um, I'm, I would hardly ever, um, I don't do it myself, I would hardly ever recommend, you know, tracking calories or um, macros or anything like that. But having said that, there's a time and place for doing it. There's a time and place for having a real deep dive on what you're actually having, having a real black and white you know, record or reflection point, um, and being able to for some people and being able to use that going forward, but not in a long-term you know, kind of not long term, not consistent. Yeah. You know, I think I think that that can become problematic too.
0: Yeah, it can become a job, I imagine. If you yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I would hate doing it, so I would yeah. never recommend people do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing your philosophy on that. And um, yeah, it, it is being in the fitness industry. 100% I've seen that, you, you know, a Netflix documentary comes out and everyone's changing their diet and or whatever it might be. Um, so it, it's so true that if you stay the course and, and trust trust your team. the professionals in your team um you're probably going to get reap the benefits where if you're just chopping and changing all the time you won't even be able to measure whether it was useful or not for you exactly you're changing to before you can get the benefits so um that's great and then and then in terms of the developing uh footballs and then we'll go into your your career journey um for developing footballers at Brisbane Lions was there um a particular focus or any sort of tips and tricks that um, you would you would commonly see with young footballers coming into the club that you found effective.
1: Look, I think I think the thing is with um, with young footballers, and this is this is also you know even the work that we're trying to do with the, the AFL Sports Dietitians Association is is really to try and push for more servicing, to try and push for more consistent servicing as well, and particularly whether it's the, the, the young players in AFL teams or whether it's actually the underpinning programs, the development and, and talent pathways below that. Because, you know, at those, at those ages, one, you're having such rapid growth and development um, cognitively and physically that nutrition support is so key, but it's also setting up these habits um, and, and just setting some, some good habits from early on. Um, and, you know, that, that is really the, the key time to get on top of those because I think nutrition's a really funny thing. It's, it's something that, you know, I always, I always look at athletes and there's a lot on their plate. You know, you look in those high-performance environments, there's a lot of pressures they're being told to, you know, do things by the s c coach. They've got the pressures of selection. They've got the pressures of coaches. There's a lot to think about in any one day, and it would be silly to think, you know, yes, I might be the dietitian or nutritionist and think that that's really, really important, but the reality is there's lots of days where it's not important and it shouldn't be important and it shouldn't be the priority focus for that athlete. But you only get to that point if you've built these good habits before that, and if you're able to then you know, engage or pick the point when it should become the top priority again and you readdress it and you make sure that all of these things are in place yeah. and then it just kind of, it doesn't, you set the habits, they're all in place and then it be, can become less of a focus again and allow you to focus on all of these other parts of the puzzle that that need to be there. And then again, you go through another cycle and it's like, yep, Need to step back, readdress that. Are we still on track here? What needs adjusting? So it's it's that habit building where you know things do become second nature.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it could be for some of those players the first time. They'd, most likely they've moved out of home and yep. uh, living with other people and parents aren't cooking. So it is such a pivotal time in their development. Uh, their bodies are still growing. Um, even you know physically they're under the most load they've ever been under. So. Yeah, I agree. It's so important um, and having seen, you know, Simone Osterman at sort of Hawthorne while I was there, like the impact she had on the players, teaching them how to cook um, and, you know, what to buy, uh, what to avoid, supplements, all the things, all the basics like you're saying, it is so important from an education point of view. Mm. What, what, would, what would be the ideal model if you could structure a development program? Like what would be the touch points? Is it how, now that you've seen the system too, you understand the environment mm. and like, yep. passion, like everyone, believes that their field, <laughs> like I want more time in the gym with them and, you know, everyone wants more time with the athletes. But if we are setting them up and that's gonna look after their future self as an athlete, like you said, they're gonna have the awareness and the habits are in place that then we can scale the nutrition program down and, and focus on more on a needs basis. Um so is it simply athletes maybe being identified that you need to see pit more and you've got you've actually the club's invested in this many consultations one on one. Is that how it could work where it's sort of adjustable to the individual or do you see it more as an academy group, group stuff that needs to be done and more, more touch points for the <laughs> dietitians at the club?
1: Probably all of that, to be honest. Yeah. Probably all of that. I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of things there. One, one you want to see as an athlete progresses through their career that they go from being, you know, handheld and provided information and provided the skills Right through to the end endpoint, where you're simply a, um, you know, a a touch point. They might check in with you infrequently. They're pretty much there, but you're a really good sounding board. You're a really good sounding board for, hey, what do you think of this? I want to try that. Um, so it's it's going through that spectrum, and I think you know within AFL clubs, there's a big space for setting up a program that's more consistent across the clubs, so that everyone across the country is. Having access to those same development points, almost, almost like a, a, a bit of a loose curriculum, but you're stepping through those. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you transfer clubs, you kind of know that you've still got that same knowledge or skills base. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, it, you know, honestly, a big part of this as well is, um, you know, we, we know what we can provide and what we can do. But uh, it's, it's, it's sometimes within that environment of, of clubs where you need all the other professions, you need the HP manager on board, you need the GM on board as well to prioritise that. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean either that, you know, all of a sudden people are doing hours of nutrition work a day, but it does need to become a priority in how it's integrated in how it's integrated into injury management programs, into um, injury recovery programs, how cooking classes are better integrated in those first couple of years as well. Um, So that's I think that that needs to be a big, big shift as well and just an understanding of, you know, quite literally, nutrition underpins everything. No, you can't, no one else in that club can do a good job realistically if people aren't eating well because their brains aren't functioning, their bodies aren't functioning, they're not optimising immune function. So I think it's that understanding and that understanding of how it brings everything together.
2: Yeah. Hey, guys, Paul Pierce here from the Western Jess Football Club. And um, this year, I was fortunate enough to get help from uh, Prepare Like a Pro, uh, helping me prepare uh, for the draft combine. Um, My normal week would consist of seeing as I was trying to improve my 2K would consist of um, endurance days. Um, I'd have a feel-good day where uh, I try and work on my running technique and just feel comfortable in running. Um, have my speed days. Um, I have some injury prevention exercises, um, lower body sessions and upper body sessions. Um, what I enjoyed most about the program um, was how Jack was quite invested in me. Um, always checking up on me, giving me feedback. Um, We looked at my diet, um, so the stuff off the field. So hydration, sleep, uh, motivation levels and all that. So yeah, highly recommend and yeah, I I enjoyed the uh, journey.
0: For the athletes that are listening, what 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 are the most common things that you would like? Where do you start with a a typical young developing football or doesn't have to be football, but athletes, um, nutrition? Like what, what are the common things that you see that you try and start to um, change or or influence?
1: As as you say, the basics, learning to get in the kitchen for a start, learning to enjoy food, um, learning to, I guess, feel the difference as well. I think that that's sometimes the biggest uh, stumbling block for people who haven't typically thought about nutrition as, as being important is that if they... Particularly if they're already at a, you know, a, a, a body weight or a body composition that isn't um, making them an outlier. Yeah,
0: it's
1: Then, the, yeah, then they just kind of think, well, nutrition's not that important because that's the way they view it. Yeah. Whereas, you, that's it. You don't know if you haven't felt if you haven't felt a change, you really don't know what you're not getting by paying attention to it. So, so that's that's probably the first aspect and, and bringing that enjoyment into food as well. You know, that's, that's the primary reason we eat is because we enjoy it, not just to get energy. So that's, that's a really critical thing. Um, and then I think along their journey as well, there's all of those touch points for um, really making them aware of how it can be used um, specifically around injury or around game time um, and, and just bringing it Again, just bringing it all together. But yep. that's the journey I see as an athlete.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love that, that the, the importance of loving it because if you enjoy it, you're more likely to probably do it again, aren't you? But if it's, yep. it's, <laughs> it's rigid or diet or calorie counting, they're not really sustainable. You're probably not going to do it for a long period of time. And you might even uh, – that's where we. I imagine you can start to see the yo-yo effect of – and maybe being put off. Putting off yep. nutrition. Um, so for those that have had those negative experiences by, like you're saying, there's everyone there's a there's a lot out there um where, where would be a good place to start do you think uh, for someone that's looking to uh, implement some changes um, maybe they don't have access to a sports dietitian at their club or or maybe they do and they just haven't reached out yet but yeah what would be your advice
1: yeah I mean if you do have access that's obviously the first starting point um I, I think most of us are, are very open um <laughs> very, very willing to help. I think that's the thing about the profession too, is that, you know, for the most part, we, we want to be there for you. We're not there with our own agenda. Um, and I think, you know, people, people sometimes have this, have this perception that I better, not, I better not tell her what I really eat or ask my real questions just in case I get trouble or she thinks something bad about me. And, and that's, that's not what we're there for you know i think that's the things that athletes have to remember as well it's their career we're literally there to help you um and that doesn't matter if that's if that's a junior athlete a pro athlete or a masters level athlete it's still the same concept this is about you so it's it's creating that honest um dialogue for a start um if you don't have access to to good support i think you know that's that's part of that um process of of finding someone there's plenty of good sports dietitians out there it's um you know it's 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 making that first contact um and it's like any other profession sometimes you don't gel with a person it doesn't mean that it was a um a bad idea in reaching out it just means that perhaps there's someone else out there that that's better suited to you and your journey and where you are at that stage yeah
0: yeah thank you thank you for providing that and- um, no doubt some people, some athletes will hopefully start their journey or, or maybe get in contact with a sports dietitian that they might, like you said, they might not be, uh, might be avoiding them uh, after a the off-season <laughs> phase <laughs> footballers are in. Obviously, we're live now, which is the off-season phase for, for most footballers, but uh, you might be listening and you're actually in-season or pre-season in the podcast world. So get in contact with your sports dietitian or, or make contact with um, one that's uh, in your area. Going back to your career, Pip, um, who, who are some strong influences or mentors, if you like, in, in your early development?
1: It's a really interesting question. Um, I, and I would have to say it's the athletes, honestly. Um, you know, I, I've probably taken both influence, inspiration, um, as, as well as very much looking up to a whole range of people. Um, and I wouldn't even say specifically sports dietitians. Um, a whole range of different researchers, different professionals, different, um, and across a range of sports as well. I think for me, it's always been about that bigger picture, and you know, it's it's also how I watch sport. I can watch sport and have no no idea what the score is or what's going on because I'll get focused on a particular. Um, personal movement and and just trying to understand what that what that might mean from a training perspective. Um, so for me, the influence has always been athletes um, and and really understanding them and even the psychology behind them and what makes them tick and and that that influences how I engage with them. Um, you know I think I think one thing that's really um, key, really for any performance environment, is that knowledge is important. You know, I've, I've got to know stuff about food and nutrition. But what's even more important, I think, is how you deliver that and how you develop a relationship with someone, um, how you build authenticity and how you build trust. Um, and and that's why I say, you know, athletes are the ones that influence me because it's it's picking up on... What's on their plate? What's their body language? Um, and that, that then sets up how you're going to, to deal with them or manage them or manage that issue.
0: Yeah, like you said earlier, not, you know, not having an agenda, you're there for them. And yep. I love that philosophy and, and treating the, you know, who's in front of you rather than, uh, I guess, bringing your own stuff, which can be quite challenging as a practitioner, um, you, you know, knowing your own experiences and then putting that on players. But if you've got that. Philosophy. It's a, it's a good one, good good reminder for all us practitioners to focus on what's important, which is the athlete and, and the person that's in front of you. So, thanks mm. thanks for sharing that. That's great. And then, in terms of developing yourself and your craft, what are some of your favorite ways to upskill yourself? Uh, like you mentioned, the knowledge is important, um, as well as the, the art of communication. And um, yeah, how do you go about um, getting better in those spaces?
1: Look, it's always a continual process. And again, I think you know athletes are probably a really good reflection point as well. They're going to let you know, or it's pretty easy to know, if you're not being successful or or where the areas are that you constantly need upskilling. Um, You know, I think where my career is now, um, I'm not actively working with AFL athletes or or team athletes necessarily. I'm, I'm working with other elite athletes, but. More of my work in the in the footy space is actually working um, with the dietitians at a servicing level, and and how do we keep increasing those servicing levels and increasing um, athlete outputs and outcomes? And um, you know, I learn a hell of a lot from from my colleagues in that space as well, and and just understanding the different environments and understanding the different challenges, um, and what that what that means in terms of um, better support or requirements for the profession as well, more generally.
0: And, yeah, for the sports dietitians listening in that are um, pretty keen to work in elite sport um, like AFL or A-League or whatever it might be, um, what is the best way to go about that? What, what was your mindset um, and how did you go about getting your foot in the door at, in elite sport?
1: I guess, I guess for me my journey's been a little bit different um, because I, I already had, you know, Knowledge um, as an athlete myself, and experience within those high-performance environments. I think you you really want to understand that space. Um, I think one of the biggest biggest challenges, or, or maybe the, one of the mistakes that I see with with some, and not even just sports dietitians, but any professionals coming into that space, is is just not understanding um, the context more broadly. Um, and understanding that you are simply one piece of the puzzle. And sometimes the best thing that you can do is nothing. Sometimes the best thing you can do is actually just stand back and, and observe. Um, so so having that sort of mindset when you step into those environments, um, I think is really critical. Um, and, and also, I mean, one thing that I have actually found that is um, – been beneficial to me is when I when I started working in AFL. I knew nothing about the game, so I didn't grow up in a family that followed the sport. Um, I was off doing my own sports. It, it it wasn't a game that I knew much about, to be honest. Um, and to a large degree, I I use that to my advantage um, because you're not you're not really caught up in the details. You're not there as a fan, um, and it allows you to have a to step back and have quite a um, be quite perceptive about, about requirements and what's needed and um, to, to change things that you think need changing um, without getting caught up in, in the history or the culture or anything too much.
0: And what about challenges in your career? What, what have been some significant challenges and, and what did you learn and how, you know, what did, how did you grow from those experiences?
1: Uh, so, gosh, certainly lots of, um, lots of challenges along the way, I would say. I would say honestly the biggest one, and, and it's it's probably sparked um, probably my most rewarding time in the career in my career, particularly as a sports dietitian. Is um, you know I, I think it's no secret that in a lot of a lot of clubs, nutrition is still almost an undervalued um, service or an undervalued part of the high performance programs, and that's a generalization, but you know, what we've seen even with COVID and, and cuts and, you know, where, where can clubs cut?s is that very much came on for, for most clubs as either, either the easiest to minimise or get rid of. Um, and, and for me that was really surprising and not surprising, to be honest. Um, but I kind of took the thought that, you know, this is the start of a pandemic um, where surely health and mental health are really key and they should be the primary things that we're focusing on. And, you know, my thoughts are that nutrition are really the main thing that you have when you think about health and mental health in that sort of context, in a healthy population. Um, so for them to be, um, be minimised and, you know, for other dietitians in other clubs either, either cut entirely, I just thought there was something wrong with that system and that approach. Um, and so that, you know, that really sparked off this bringing together. How do, we, how do we bring dietitians across the country together and to create more of a voice and, and more of a platform? Um, because ultimately it's the athletes who suffer and, and that's where we come from. So it's not just about, hey, don't forget about us and our jobs over here. It's, it's, well, if you're cutting that service, it's it's the athletes um, and those outcomes that will that will eventually suffer from that. So that's um, it's been it's been a really really good journey, and I think that we'll see some really positive um, outcomes from that as well. And particularly some of the conversations that we're having around you know nutrition into some of the development and underpinning program levels that I think can come of this as well, and what that looks like, and and also ensuring that that clubs do have that servicing in in place going forward. Yeah. So for me it's been hugely challenging, hugely rewarding. Um and and I hope too that both for dietitians as well as athletes, it's going to be a positive outcome and experience.
0: Yeah, watch this space. Yeah. (laughs) Well when it does happen, that's when we'll have to launch the panel.
1: (laughs) Well there's um it's I have to say too as a group, like such a intelligent, passionate, awesome group of, um, they're mostly girls, a couple of guys in there. But.
0: <laughs> yeah, and no, big things to come, no doubt. Uh, yeah. I can't, wait, can't wait to um, see what, what's in stall. And um, what what do you think, what do you suspect to be some of the um, fallbacks for the athletes? What would be some things that if you were measuring a, a program um, or, or, or help Build the awareness of a club that that's something that if we if we put a budget towards nutrition, it could have prevented, or uh, you know, we could have increased that performance in that area.
1: That's where it's really hard because because while nutrition kind of underpins lots of things, there's not many measurables around that. You know, it's really hard. That's it's true. really yeah, it's really hard to measure the contribution to immune status, for instance. It's really hard to measure the contribution to recovery or how fast someone's recovering from an injury. Um, but we know that it is a component. So I think, I think that that's where it's, you know, potentially it always on the chopping block as an easy cut because it doesn't have that data. Um, and I don't know, that's, that's probably a challenge for our profession too. How do we, how do we get to that, that point where it is more um, where it is more known, or, or how do we put dollar figures around some of these things? Because that, that would really bring it to the forefront.
0: There we go, podcast listeners. If there's anything <laughs> like <just use laughs> HD in there for you, <laughs> contact with Pip if, you, if you're keen to help. But okay, that, that's great. What about you mentioned how rewarding it is, this, this challenge that you're undertaking? Um, are there other, some other highlights over your career that you look back on and, and, and you know, think of fondly or feel proud of those moments?
1: uh look look probably lots and and there's pro- there's there's lots of individual athletes as well that um you know whether they're individuals in teams or, or literally individuals in individual sports that you have these little breakthrough moments you know it's something that they might have been struggling with for years and years and years and it's it they could have worked with with other nutritionists or other dietitians or um, or or not have any experience either and it's it's something in the way that you've it's not that I've done anything revolutionary you know most of us have the same knowledge but it's something in the way that this person that you've connected with or communicated a particular concept or change and for them it has been you know meant a, a life-changing shift in their mindset or their practice um, that has opened up um, either a whole lot of potential or opportunities or it's changed the way they think about themselves or how they perceive themselves. Um, and, and all of those things are, you know, so rewarding along the way as well. And um, it's, it's funny, it's sometimes only when you, when you look back or when you ask questions like you just asked that you actually think about it and put it in, in those sort of contexts as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um Something that's it's been congruent all the way through the podcast, you can tell your, your passion for helping others um, along their journey, which is, which is great and inspiring for all us practitioners and coaches that are working with people. Ultimately, that's the most important thing. And if you feel good doing it, it's not a bad job. Um, so that's great. So well, this is the lighter part of the, the podcast. These questions, you can have a bit of fun with these. They're not so serious. <laughs> <laughs> So find it's more the personal side. Um, so which movie or TV series um, has impacted you the most and why?
1: Yeah, it's funny. You, you sent this question through and I literally have no answer. And I don't know what this says about me as a person, but. It could be a book. I didn't, I didn't actually grow up with much TV. I don't know if I should say this, but we didn't grow up with a TV in our house. And my parents, um, every Olympics and Commonwealth Games, they would go and rent a TV and we'd have it there for the couple of weeks and then it would go back.
0: Um, the, the, <laughs> the evolution of a TV every four years.
1: <laughs> um, but the funny thing is too, and it's probably the same for books, you know, I can, I can watch a movie and love it. I'll never watch it again. Yeah. So, and it's the same with anything. I'll, I'll do something, love it and move on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't I, I can't understand watching a movie twice.
1: No, Bessie. There you go. <laughs>
0: You're the experience has been done. <laughs> um, what about favourite inspirational quote or life motto?
1: Yeah, easy one. Um, very short. Why not? Why not? Yeah, yeah awesome. that's that's all. And I, and I have to say too, you know, it's it's something, and I still I still ask it of myself a lot. Whether it's you know during um, during the working day in different contexts or. Um, even for me, I still train, still stay active. But as an athlete too, I went through a phase where I actually had it stuck, stuck on the fridge and I would read it every day. And it's, um, I think it's just, it's just these two words that just sum up a lot, a lot of attitude, and it can be, um, it can be asked in different ways as well. Um, so it's,
0: yeah. <laughs> what would it, when, you, when you're going through a flat spot in your training, what would it sort of fire up with you? Like, is it a matter of like take a risk sort of thing? Like, why not? Like, let's go. Like, let, yep,
1: yep. Take a take a risk, but also, you know, it could be it be taken in the context of um, confidence. Um, you know, why not me? Um, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I deserve it. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, yeah, it depends on depends on the context. How you say it. it takes on multiple meanings, but it's just always I find a really useful phrase.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then in your work life, uh, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves?
1: (laughs) Um, I would have to say my pet peeves are both poor communication, um, people beating around the bush and just not, come on, let's just tackle this head on, communicate it, talk it out. Um, And then the other other thing that really annoys me, and I used to get a lot, is that's the way we've always done it. Mm. As an answer. Can't stand that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot of growth in that, is there?
1: That, it's not it's not it's not an adequate answer.
0: <laughs> what would be your response to, to that if someone did answer that? Do you do you try and open their mind up to some other possibilities or is it just too hard to work if someone's in that mindset? Like have you Oh no,
1: true no, trust me. Trust me. I always follow up with the hard questions. Yeah. Um because I think, I think you know, if that's if that's a response, it has been in question to, uh, can we do it this way? Um, and it's just because something has always been done some way doesn't mean that it's the best way to do it. Doesn't mean it's either the most, it's you know, it's not the best or it's not the most efficient or it's not the most um, thoughtful way to do something. There is always a way to change and improve something.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've got to evolve. What's your your favorite way to spend your day off? These last two are a COVID free world as well, of course.
1: Yeah, you know, you know what? Um, I'm pretty lucky with where I live. Um, And I've also been pretty lucky over COVID. So, so almost COVID or not, my day's ideal day doesn't change that much. Um, I still love to train. Uh, Even as an athlete, like I would probably take a training day over a, a race or competition day. Um, so, for me, still an ideal day is, you know, a run or getting out, doing something. Um, absolutely, coffee essential, good food essential, um, involving gin in some way or another. Yeah. Um, I am a parent of two kids. Depending on the day you ask me, the ideal day may include them, may not include them. <laughs> yeah,
0: <I love> that.
1: <laughs> But I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty low key.
0: <laughs> and uh, what about favourite holiday destination and why? Worldwide,
1: I'm hoping um, I'm hoping I've yet to discover my favourite place. To be honest, um, I do love to travel as an athlete. I travelled a lot, um, saw some very good places. Saw also an awful lot of hotel rooms and airports. Um, so far, the best place I've travelled though to um, would be Lapland. So North Pole, literally the North Pole at winter, Christmas Day. um, Had the kids there too. And I have to say that that is something really special, amazing. And then, yeah, just the light, um, everything running in minus 30 degrees, all of it. Love it. Yeah. How
0: good. (laughs) That has not uh, come up on the podcast yet. (laughs) Is it? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for sharing. This is the last question. What are you excited about for 2021? What's on the horizon for you?
1: Look, it's probably, it's probably a standard standard answer at the moment, but um, crossing borders, um, you know, travelling, seeing family, yep. getting out of some of these COVID restrictions. I think that's for everyone first and foremost.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, thank you so much. You've lived a full life. Uh, jumping on and, and sharing your story has been Great experience. I know I've taken a lot from it and, and no doubt those tuned in live as well as those listening in the podcast world have, have taken a lot out of it too, whether you're an athlete, practitioner, working in health and, and wellness and, and also performance, um, there's plenty there for you. So thank you so much for sharing your journey with us.
1: No, thank you. It's been really fun getting on having a chat.
0: Yeah, thanks, Pip. Thank you so much. And for thanks. those tuned in, uh, thank you for for listening into the live chat. Uh, the podcast episode will be launched very soon and uh, you can head to our Instagram page from when we launch that. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian, of the Collier Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up?
3: Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game,
0: changes. Yeah, like game, game change.
3: changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes. And you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with in athlete. Four. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the strength and conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome Rama to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man love that. Uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So... I'll hand it over to you, Ramita, to ask your question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my my question to you was you spoke a, a quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um do physically that um you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career uh, what are some of those things mm, yeah good question um
4: yeah so i suppose with perspective on life um that sort of point um it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and and didn't probably have that as much um when i was younger um i suppose one thing i might mention is is gratitude i spend a lot of my time um doing a lot of gratitude exercises listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what i'm grateful for sort of three things and um that's a fantastic way that i've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know it might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's if having a hard time Um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then. And, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things. And um, if I kind of, didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off
0: and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.